Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors. I'm your host, Jacob Robery, and now since the season, the 2019-2020 waterfowl season is over here in Louisiana and surrounding states, and we've had time to kind of process the season as a whole, on this week's episode, we're going to dive in and kind of reflect back on the season Take a look at some of the good points of the season, some of the things that weren't so good, and also talk and mention a little bit of equipment and things that we took from this season that we can hopefully carry into next season to make it more successful as we head into the 2020-2021 season. So I hope you'll sit tight and join us for this week's episode of Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors. Hey, hey, what's going on, boys and girls? Hope everybody's having a good work week as we, uh, we're in the beginning of the work week, sitting here on, uh, what are we now, February 18th, February 18th, so coming out of Valentine's Day, hope everybody had a good Valentine's Day. Uh, I'm your host, Jacob Robery with Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors, and now since we've uh, completed the 2019-2020 waterfowl season, and I wanted to take a couple of weeks on purpose just to just to sit back, kind of reflect on the season. To be honest with you, uh, you know, I was tired. I mean, it's been a long season. I'm sure a lot of you feel the same way about the uh, the hunting season. Those of us who are, are, you know, public land or even if you're not public land, waterfowl hunters or hunters in general, it, it could be a long, grueling season if you continuously hunt throughout the entire season. So... That's what we did. That's what our group did for this particular season here in Louisiana. And, you know, we got a lot to reflect back on upon. And I didn't want to just jump into um, my recap of the season a couple of weeks after the season ended. So I I waited uh, to to do this specific podcast episode and just wanted to kind of hear feedback from other hunters and friends that hunted across the state and some of the surrounding states, talk to some people that had hunted and just kind of match up, see what, what stories matched up, what stories didn't match up. Uh, and, and, you know, I think that the, to sum it all up, the, uh, the season was another disappointing season here in Louisiana. I'm sure a lot of you who hunt across the state or have leases that you paid, you know, big dollars for this year, many of you probably feel the same. As a matter of fact, I've talked to several people that have leases, you know, that that are paying high money to get into leases to uh, have, you know, better success rates and not have to fight the crowds that we do on public land. And it, it's been a gruel for most hunters throughout the season. So when I look back at the 2018-2019 season, when we finished that specific year, um, I, I thought to myself and, and the guys in our group that, you know what, this is probably the worst we'll probably ever experience. Um, and, I, and I do have to say, heading into this season, we were, you know, in the back of our minds hoping that, hey, it's got to be better than it was the year before. And, you know, to be honest with you, and for the most part, I, I have to look back at the numbers this year. And I'm not a big numbers guy because that, that has definitely changed for me now since I'm a 40-year-old father of two boys that I'm getting into the sport. it's My, my outlook and take on that has definitely changed. But Looking at my numbers this year as a hunter, as compared to the season before, my numbers were up this year. Now, that's not bragging by any means, trust me, and that's nothing to boast about. 
because it was still a, a really low productive year this year for us here in, in Louisiana. Um, we started out our season kind of recapping for for all our listeners. We started out our season up at uh, you know uh, Richard K. Yancey, which is a a public WMA here in Louisiana. It's one of the larger wildlife management areas in the state. And traditionally, it has been a good waterfowl WMA. We got invited to go up to uh, one of our good buddy Tioga's camp uh, this year for the opener of the first split in the uh, east zone, which is predominantly what we hunt as our group hunts the east zone for the most part. Um, we started out in the East Zone opener at Richard K. Yancey, got invited to go up there with Tioga and some of our good friends, had a good weekend. Uh, you know, we recapped that in some of our earlier episodes, but we started out pretty hot and heavy. We had some really good hunts, and it, look, it looked really promising. We, uh, we saw a large number of different species coming out of opening weekend in the Eastern Zone first split. Um, we, we did show pictures on our social media pages we talked about it in some previous podcast episodes we had a good mixed bag of we had mallards we had widgeon we had gray ducks we had teal wood ducks there were high high numbers of wood ducks this year and wood ducks is one of the species that kind of prevailed throughout the season you know a lot of people take wood ducks for granted but when you're a public land hunter it's a big part of you know possibly limiting out and filling a bag limit or or not filling a limit and uh, it could be a successful hunt with a limit of wood ducks when you don't have any other birds migrate down like we used to here in Louisiana. And uh, there's a lot of takes to go off of, you know, why the numbers are declining. A lot of people have been talking about this. It's a hot topic. Um, you know, it's something that I've been evaluating myself as a waterfowl hunter over the last probably, I'd say, five or six years pretty closely. Uh, we had some really good years five or six years ago, but it has been on a steady decline in the last two to three seasons. And I know people that have hunted their whole lives that are, you know, have very good names and good history following uh, fans like Mr. Warren Coco with Go Devil Manufacturing. He's a friend of mine. He's somebody who, as a, as a in my profession, I'm a boat salesman and I sell his product, Go Devil products. So I talk to Mr. Warren and we talk about. Uh, you know, kind of recapping through the year how things are going on the hunting front. And people like him and Mr. Dale Bordlaw, who, uh, who's also a friend of ours that we got to know this year and meet this year with Bayou Beast Calls out, out of uh, central Louisiana up around Catahoula Lake. Um, guys like that have, who have been hunting their whole lives, it's, it's interesting to get their take and kind of see their opinions. And, and, you know, when I talked to Mr. Warren this year, he, he told me, he said, this is probably the worst waterfowl season for him personally that he's seen in many many years if not ever and those of you who know mr warren or you, you from just about everybody is familiar with mr warren coco um the owner of go devil manufacturing this man's been at it for many many years he's one of the original pioneers in the state for you know promoting waterfowl hunting and guys like him that are sitting back and saying man you know just really wasn't good this is, could be one of the worst years ever that, that's really you know something that, that you don't want to hear as a as a, a waterfowl hunter who's new to the sport and getting into the sport but the thing we have to remember is that it's not always about the numbers and it's not always about the killing and, and I know people say that and, and, and a lot of people say well that tends to be an excuse whenever you don't kill ducks and, and yes it could be an excuse when you don't kill ducks but at the end of the day, I think people go through phases in their life. 
um, where a hunt, whether it's a, a waterfowl hunt or a deer hunt or whatever it is, it could be a rabbit hunt, a squirrel hunt, a fishing trip. I think people go through different phases in their life where they take the joys out of each hunt and look at it differently than maybe they did in the future or maybe they will down the road. So just as an example myself, I mentioned, you know, I'm a 40-year-old father of two now. Um, when I first started out hunting with my dad, it was all about learning how to hunt. You know, uh, as a child, it wasn't about getting a limit personally. It was about trying to kill one or kill two of whatever species I was hunting, whether it was squirrel hunting, which we were big squirrel hunters, or waterfowl hunters. I started waterfowl hunting at an early age with my father. Um, and then as I got to where I was old enough to hunt on my own, it started becoming more about the, the thrill of the of filling a bag limit. And, and that's where I think a lot of us eventually we kind of progressed to. I, it was a disappointing hunt for me if I couldn't fill a bag limit. And it was like that for many, many years as I went through college, as I, I was I got married before I had children. But then my oldest son was born and I started getting him at the age of five involved, taking him on camping trips with me. Got him involved in squirrel hunting. I started letting him come along on hunts with me. Um, he wasn't quite ready for the duck blind yet because he couldn't handle the colder weather. Most most small children don't enjoy cold, cold weather like that. So it was something that I was able to get him involved in squirrel hunting and teach him the, the, the you know the basics of gun safety and uh, how to creep in the woods and how to walk and stalk properly. And I noticed that in myself it became less about getting the limit. I wasn't worried about filling a bag limit anymore. If I didn't have a bag limit or a full limit of whatever I was hunting, it wasn't disappointing to me like it was years before. And now I'm 40 years old. My, my oldest son, Jackson's 10. I have another son who's five years old. I'm starting to get him involved this year, this past year. I brought him for opening weekend of squirrel season this year. Got him out there with it, him, me and his older brother. And he absolutely fell in love with it. He enjoyed it. Um, didn't drag him in the duck season because once again, cold weather it plays a factor there. I don't want to ruin him. I don't want to. I don't want to make him miserable and not want to come again next year or the year after whenever he's ready to come with us in a duck blind. But my point is, is my point of view changed? Even my ten-year-old, I had some of the best duck hunts this year in the blind with my ten-year-old son that I've ever had in my life, and I didn't limit out. I think we had two limits the entire season for waterfowl two limits the entire season and i hunted every day i could for first and second split here in louisiana but some of the best hunts of my life and what i mean by that is me and my son got to hunt quite a bit during christmas break and thanksgiving break i took time off this year during those times when he was off of school and he was out of school so we could hunt together this year and I saw the progression in his skills this year. He went from, you know, never shooting a bird on the fly to killing his first duck on the wing this year, which was an awesome experience for him and for me as a father to witness it and be a part of that. I saw him progress in his squirrel hunting that he did with me this year. He killed, he, he was able to stalk on his own. You know, I let him go 100 yards down from me in a, in a section of woods that I knew he couldn't really get lost in. Showed him how to read a compass. Got him involved in that and, and, and taught him the right ways. I've been working with him over the years to do that. And he was able to stalk and kill a couple of squirrels on his own this year. Awesome experience for me. 
I mean, there's nothing more fulfilling as a father. For those of you who are listening out there that are parents, that are bringing up a hunter or a fisherman, that you did it as a kid, you remember those experiences. I can tell you the first duck I ever killed, I, I, I could picture it like it was yesterday. It was a wood duck that came into the timber on some family land and landed in the water and was swimming behind a cypress tree. And I waited for that wood duck, it was a drake, to come out from behind that cypress tree. And whenever that duck showed itself, I water swatted it. And, and I killed my first wood duck. That's how I got my first duck. I could picture that moment and visualize that moment like it was yesterday. You never forget that experience. And these children who are getting exposed to the sport, our children who were exposed to the sport, they'll never forget that experience. They'll remember those experiences till the day they pass away. And, and they're going to continue, hopefully, to carry that on to their children and their children's children. So when I mean when I say I had one of the best waterfowl seasons I could have ever had, it wasn't due to the numbers. It wasn't all about the numbers. It wasn't all about the limits. It was about sharing that time in the blind with my son this year. And I'm realizing now at 40 years old that things have changed. And I look at hunts differently. For those of you who follow us on our social media page, our Facebook page, we started a segment on our Facebook page. I invite you to check it out. It's called Camp Chronicles. And I enjoy speaking to people. I'm a salesman by trade. That's what I do as a profession. I talk to people all the time. I'm in the outdoors industry. That's what my profession is. So I talk to outdoorsmen all the time. And I, I love to hear people's stories about experiences they've had on the water, experiences they've had in the deer stand, experiences they've had in the blind. It's something that's very interesting to me. People meeting other people and outdoorsmen are like no other people on the planet. They, they have a compassion for each other for the most part. When you hear the negative stories of, oh, I don't hunt public land because it's nothing but you know trouble and I, I'm not going to put up with the crowds and this person cussed me on this and that, I, let, let me tell you something. I, I'm, a, I'm a public land hunter 100% of the time. I have been for many, many years, and I can tell you probably on one hand the times that I've had a run-in with another hunter and had words with another hunter in a negative manner. If you keep yourself out of those situations and you don't put yourself into those situations as an outdoorsman, and you treat Mother Nature and the area that you hunt with respect and other outdoorsmen with respect, you will find that the return is something that is in a, a positive return. You don't have to get into it with another hunter over a hunting spot or a duck hole because he's sitting in that duck hole before you there or you coming in after him and he was already there. Try introducing yourself to him. Try talking to him, saying, hey, man, you both there because you share the same passion. Say, hey, look, you know, I see you hunting by yourself or, hey, it's you and a buddy. And if you by yourself, would you mind me hunting with y'all? You'd be amazed at the people that you meet and the friendships that you, you, you strike up for many, many years, if not lifetime, relationships with other hunters. Because at the end of the day, like I said, we're all there for the same, same passion. We're doing it because we love it. And, you know, other people who don't hunt or don't fish will never understand it. Because 
you have to be absolutely out of your mind to wake up at 12 o'clock in the morning or 1 o'clock in the morning, 2 o'clock in the morning in freezing temperatures to go out and sit in a deer stand or go out in a pair of waders and stand chest deep in some flooded timber to hunt. People think we're insane. And maybe we are a little bit, right? Well, I'd say we probably are a little bit insane. But it's a passion and it's a drive like something, like no other that you could explain to someone who doesn't partake in the outdoors like we do. And, you know, when I say I love to talk to people, I love to hear stories from other hunters about their experiences, about how, hey, I hunted. I used to hunt with my dad until he passed away. And, you know, we had this tradition. And I'm big. I'm one of those big traditionalists. I, I like the old school waterfowl days. I, I'm interested in that, the history of it. Um, that's that. That's the way I got to meet Mr. Dale Borlone with Bayou Beast Calls this year. I spoke to Mr. Dale uh, throughout the season a couple of times. Super nice guy. Mr. Dale shares that passion for the traditions of Louisiana waterfowl hunting and our ancestors. And that's something that he promotes through his company. He's an extremely talented uh, duck call maker. He he makes wood decoys. If you don't know Mr. Dale and Bayou Beast Calls, I invite my listeners to check him out at, on, on social media, on Facebook, uh, Bayou Beast Calls. He's based here in Louisiana. He's a Louisiana company. Makes some phenomenal duck calls. Uh, give him a call. If you're in the market for some new duck calls, he'd be a great person to, to get to meet, introduce yourself to him, and I promise you, you'll probably strike up a friendship with him for, for the rest of your lives because he's that type of person. Mr. Dell's one of those guys that you gravitate toward. Other waterfowl hunters like to hear his stories. And he's big as far as, you know, giving back and, and educating youth hunters and hunters of today's generation of the ways it was of our ancestors and how they used to do it. And to me, that's fascinating. I like it. I like, you know, throwing it back to to those old days or the heyday, as many people call it. You know, that was the golden years of when waterfowl was in its prime. There was huge numbers of waterfowl back then. And, you know, it's just a different time, but that doesn't mean that that can't come back again. And it's up to us to kind of help, you know, go out there and promote the sport to get other hunters involved um, and make sure that those traditions and that they, they keep alive, they stay alive. But there's many ways that we can all partake in that. And that's another topic for another day. But this year it got me started. I, I talked to a lot of people doing, you know, public land hunting. And I said, I wanted to start a small series on our social media Facebook page called Camp Chronicles is what I named it. And what it is, is it's hunters. I started out this year with my son, my son, who's 10 years old. I mentioned Jackson. I asked him a simple question. I said, Jackson, why do you hunt? Why do you do it? And I was interested and kind of caught by his response as a 10 year old boy on why he does it. And I invite you to check it out. It's up on our Facebook page. You'll, you'll be, you might be surprised to hear his answer. It's something that I think is very interesting and a simple question to ask other hunters. Why do you do it? Why do you hunt? Why do you get up at one in the morning to go hold down a spot in line so you can get that first 
you know, blind and public access or the best blind and public access. Why do you do it? So I started out the series this year with him. And then I moved on to one of the hunters in our last stop waterfowl group, who's my best friend since I was a child, Mr. Troy Fontenot. And Troy is one of the best hunters that I personally know. He always has been, I guess, since we're kids. And Troy can teach you a lot just by listening to him. But all the years I've been hunting with Troy, we never even talked about it and asked each other, why the hell we do this, you know? And I asked him that same simple question that I asked my 10-year-old son, why do you do it, Troy? Why do you hunt? And I think it caught him off guard whenever he gave his response. But it was a completely different response than what my son did and, and gave. And my point here is that that same question asked to many different hunters that we run across in the field, it is absolutely amazing to me and probably will be to you the different answers that you're going to receive. What I do find is that we don't all do it for the same reason. I knew that going in. But the end result of our passion and our passion to do it is the same. We all share a common core there. But the reasons and the and the solutions to how we get to that answer is completely different. And that's the part that fascinates me. So next year as we head into the waterfowl season, I look to continue our series of Camp Chronicles. I want to talk to other hunters and I want to ask complete strangers whenever we strike up a conversation at the boat launch or at the camp, hey, why do you hunt? Why do you do it? And hopefully, we'll continue to grow and learn a little bit about other hunters that we share public lands with. And I invite you, even if you're on a lease or private land, if you hunt with a group of guys, ask them that simple question. It's a pretty cool answer, which you're probably going to get. And it also allows that person being asked the question to reflect and kind of think seriously about why they do what they do. And for a lot of us, we kind of get away from why we do it, you know? And, and I think it's a question that will kind of make you reflect back on it and maybe make you realize that, hey, getting a limit ain't always worth it or ain't always what it has to be. Let me not say worth it. Always what it has to be. But it's something that's going to be different across the board for everybody. So, so when I say... When I, I look back on this waterfowl season here in South Louisiana and across Louisiana and the surrounding states, I, I know you boys that are in Arkansas, you boys that are in Missouri, Texas, Mississippi. I have friends in all those states that waterfowl hunt. It's been a tough year, and, it, and it's it's not been the best year. And there's some of you that are saying, oh, hey, 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 it was a great year. I don't know what you're talking about, man. Why are you complaining? I'm not complaining. And that's not what this is to say. I'm not complaining at all. I had one of, I just told you I had one of the best waterfowl seasons that I could remember in years. And why it was the best waterfowl season I had in years. But some of us did have successful years this year. If you were on the X, you were in the right spot, you probably had really good successful seasons this year. But for the most of us, 
and this is talking to other hunters and reading the statistics that wildlife and fisheries put out there and listening to guys like Mr. Warren Coco and Mr. Dale Bordelong and these guys who have done it their whole years. It wasn't a good season overall. Now the great debate comes into play of, okay, well, what's causing it? And guys, look, I'm going to be honest. I don't have the answer. I've been observing this over the last several years. I can tell you I have been looking at trends. And, you know, I think it's a number of things. I know a lot of guys are angry. They say they're short-stopping the birds up north. Well, the guys up north in Arkansas and Missouri that were getting blamed a couple of years ago, you boys ain't getting the birds that you had a couple of years ago. So that can't necessarily all be the truth, you know, or all be the reason. Let me say that, not the truth. So are they short-stopping birds up north? And, and when I say that, I'm talking specifically in the Mississippi Flyway, where we're located at and what we focus on here in Louisiana. If you look at the statistics, they wildlife and fisheries, I think it was Delta Waterfowl, maybe Ducks Unlimited, one of those organizations had a big conference this year in Alexandria. They talked about short-stopping of you know birds up north from coming down here to Louisiana. And they, they have proof that these refuges and these these uh, flooded cornfields that aren't being harvested are, are, are playing, you know, into the picture and, and into the equation. And I'm sure that is that is a big part of it. That has to play somewhat into it. But weather trends, in my opinion, are something that's playing probably the biggest of all. You look at our winter this year, our coldest cold front that we had here in Louisiana was a few days before opening weekend of the Eastern Zone this year. You know, it, when, that's, when you say that, that's not a good thing. That means the second split didn't bring much cold weather. It wasn't extremely cold up north. The birds never really had to move. And something else I observed this year that is, you know, I don't know if it's been happening like this for a couple of years and I just didn't notice it, but... Or if it, you know, maybe it just was this season alone. It could have been, you know, the way it was this year. But I can tell you my most successful hunts I had this year were on days where it was warm. It was kind of humid. It wasn't real cold. And you had a southwest or south wind blowing this year. You know, traditionally you say to yourself, well, man, that makes no sense. The best days to waterfowl hunt, everybody knows, have been, you know, frontal days you get a good cold front blows through maybe right before the front when the front comes through big stiff north wind blowing that's traditionally what we've been taught since we kids that's your best days to hunt well i would say after this season and me observing it closely i have to disagree with that that was not the case this year i hunted several days where we had a front blow through and once again it wasn't arctic blast cold fronts we didn't experience that cold cold weather that some years we do but those days where our front did come through and we hunt the timber predominantly where we hunted we have we have a camp at the chaffalaya basin the north end of the chaffalaya basin up around sherbert wildlife management area we hunt the chaffalaya basin we hunt sherbert we hunted yancey we hunted you know uh grassy lake wma other wmas and we hunt the timber predominantly when we hunt at our place. And those days where it was cold, sunny, 
with a big north wind blowing, that was some of our worst days that we had. For some reason, we didn't have the number of wood ducks moving. We didn't have species of you know mallards showing up. None of that. None of the activity seemed to be on those days. But lo and behold, we got a day where it was a rain moving through, a little drizzle coming through, a front where it was warming things up. Those, and you all know what I'm talking about, where you got a, a, a car garage outside, maybe a carport area. It's got a slab, cement slab, and it's sweating. It's slippery when you step on it. One of those days, those days tend to be the best days that we had in the blind this year. So maybe things are changing. Maybe trends are changing. I think they are. As a hunter, I think it all plays into it. But is there one concrete answer to why the birds aren't making it down here? I don't believe that's the case. And that's just my personal opinion. You may disagree or agree. But I think it's several factors that are contributing to it. Because if you look at the statistics, nowadays, they're showing trends of populations of birds being greater than they were years ago, a couple of years ago. There's less hunters, according to the surveys, that are buying hunting licenses in the state of Louisiana. So the, 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 the number of hunters is on a downfall. It's declining. So less hunters, more birds. I'm not, you know, the smartest man on earth, but I'm a an educated person. I'm a hunter that pays attention to these things. You would think less hunters, higher populations of birds would equal more bag limits and kills per hunter. So what's the deal? Because that's not the case. What's going on? And I'm asking you as listeners, what's going on? I'd like to hear your opinions on it. I've talked to many of you about it. I've heard different takes on it. And I agree with a little bit with everybody. It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So are we being fed false information and accurate information on the statistics? Because what we're seeing in the field is not translating to what the statistics are telling us. And what what the departments of wildlife and fisheries are telling us. And do I think wildlife and fisheries is to blame? Is this where I'm going with this? No, that's not that's not where I'm going with this. But as a hunter and as a paying citizen and resident of the state, buying hunting licenses, we should have accurate information provided to us in order to be able to, you know, go off of and kind of have scouting reports off of. So all we can do is hope that those numbers are correct, that they're telling us the truth. Why would people, you know, stretch those numbers? Who knows? It could be money involved. It could be different reasons. It could be re-elections. You know, people trying to be re-elected. There's a lot of stuff. Politics, believe it or not, play into all this stuff. But all I know is what I see and what I'm experiencing. And then you'll have the guys that go out there and say, oh, yeah, but you just got to put in the time. You don't put in the time scouting and this and that. You internet's, we got all these internet scouters nowadays and so on and so forth. Listen, let me tell you something. A good hunter, in my opinion, is somebody who goes out and scouts in the field. But with the access to technology nowadays, if you're not also online scouting, you're probably not taking advantage of all the tools that are available to you. I'm not saying lean toward one. I'm not saying 
you know, you only internet scout. You know, I'm not here to tell you how to scout. That's up to every individual. But I think with the tools and the technology that we got nowadays, you could use the technology in combination with scouting out in the field and making your own judgment to, to give yourself success. And I think most guys who are true hunters are doing that. Those guys who are asking for information on forums, on social media, hey, man, where are the birds at and that type of stuff, you're going to get a lot of those guys out there. And those guys typically will not get a response. Or if they get a response, it's, it's going to be a, a response that they deserve from the other guys on the forum. So I'm not one of those guys. The guys that hunt my group aren't those guys. We actually spend a lot of time scouting. And I can tell you that that scouting does not necessarily equate to birds. You know, or to it could be deer or whatever. Although the state had a really good year this year with deer hunting, you know, a lot of deer were killed, good numbers were killed. I know we had a really good squirrel season this year. We had a good batch of squirrels this year. Had a really good successful squirrel season to kick off the hunting season this year. But waterfowl is a completely different story. So, you know, I don't really know what the answer is. I think a lot of you feel the same way. We all frustrated somewhat. You know, we spent a lot of money, a lot of time, a lot of gas going out there scouting and not producing results. And I'm not one of those guys that stay in one area. We're not just going to stay there because that's traditionally where we hunted. We're going to move. We're going to try to go to areas where we have a, su a successful chance to kill some birds. Now, as public land hunters, it's a little different because you you know you could have birds there one day and then the next day they're gone and that's just how it is but i'll be damned if somebody's going to tell me personally that oh you know you're not putting in the time that's why you're not killing birds no i don't buy that i just don't buy that you know because i know better than that i know what i'm doing i know the hours that me and jared and troy and all these guys that hunted our group together put in to go out there I know what we're, we're putting in the field so you know as we head into next season I'm looking forward to it this is the hardest time of the year as it is for most of us who are die hard hunters it's, it's summertime's the longest time but you know what we can get out there we can go fishing it's a great time to spend with the family now um you know, if you're married or you're dating someone and, you know, going through hunting season for your spouse, that's a tough, tough time of year. And I know a lot of guys overlook that. A lot of guys, you know, kind of, you know, they, they take it for granted. I was one of those guys at one time. And as I've gotten older, that's another thing that's changed. I've evolved as a hunter. Um, I've evolved, tried to evolve as a, as a hunter who's a husband and a father. I invite you guys, all you young guys, I can give some of this advice. I'm a little bit older now. Don't, don't abuse it. Don't abuse that time off during, you know, that time that you, you spending at the camp during the hunting season. Don't take your wife or your girlfriend for granted. Those girls have a tough time. We did an episode this year that was pretty interesting. I got a lot of feedback and a lot of questions on that. My wife, I've been married going on 17 years this month. And my wife and I did an episode, one of our previous episodes, So You're Married to a Hunter. If you haven't checked it out, I invite you to check it out. It's pretty interesting. It was a woman's take. I wanted to have a woman's take 
on what it's like to be married or dating a hunter. And, and once again, that's one of those things that'll surprise you. It'll shock you to hear their side of it and how a woman thinks of it, you know? So all I'm saying is don't abuse it. Enjoy it. Hell, if you could get them out there with you, that's also something, a good good way to spend quality time with them. But now since we're in the off season, all the hunting's over. We got the stands up. We got the blinds cleaned up. Decoys picked up. It's a long season to wait till next year. So it's a good time to spend with them. Take them on some vacations. Make mama happy in the off season. So whenever the season comes around, we have time. We can get away. And we can go do what we love to do. I know it's going to be a long wait for me personally. Um, I'm a fisherman. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a, My profession, I'm in sales. I sell boats for a living. I'm around the marine industry. We're in boat show season right now as we speak. So that's something that passes the time. We're going to do some fishing with the kids this summer. And we'll probably bring some episodes uh, to you. We might even do some fishing episodes this year on Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors. So we'll see how it goes. But we're going to be ready and kicking when it comes to opening of hunting season next year here in South Louisiana. And we're also going to do a follow-up podcast pretty soon. We're going to kind of touch base on some of the equipment that we use this year. Some good equipment that we use and some stuff that we are seeing on a decline as far as our equipment goes. Had a really good season this year, and I want to bring up some names in that episode. I want to touch base on some of the names of the equipment that we use that got us through the season without any problems. You can't do it without good equipment, and we, we were blessed to have some good equipment that we used this year. And uh, we're going to touch base and share you know some of that information with you if you're in the market for some equipment. Um, some of these things that we're using that we can recommend may benefit you as well. So we're going we're gonna to touch on that in one of our later episodes over the summer. We're going we're gonna to get together and we're going to talk waterfowl hunting, talk fishing, talk outdoors here in the great state of Louisiana. So we hope you'll tune in to our future episodes. We invite you to visit us on social media. We're on Facebook on the Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors. And we're on Instagram on the Last Stop Waterfowl, at Last Stop Waterfowl. Um, we post a lot of pictures on there. We share a lot of good articles and information revolving around the outdoors, around waterfowl hunting, fishing, other outdoor activities as far as, you know, going out, maybe doing some frogging, maybe catfishing, whatever it is that makes you happy in outdoors. We like to, we like to talk about it. We like to share it. Send us your pictures. We'll post them on our pages. But we got some good information heading into next season based off of this year. And we're going to do our our diligence. We're going to put in our time, get ready for next season. And we hope you'll join us on our future episodes of Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors, everybody. I'm your host once again, Jacob Robrick. And I'll see you in outdoors. Hope everybody has a good week. And we'll talk soon. Y'all take care.